is Kat. This is Phoebe. We are Feminine Chaos, a podcast. <laughs> a podcast. Phoebe, tell me, um, have you by any chance, you know, in your life, and even maybe within the past month, gotten to third base at a traveling Broadway show? Uh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's something I'm saving for when I may one day be a grandmother, because... <laughs> Um, (laughs) yeah, so what we're talking about is not actually anything we personally are up to, or else should I speak for myself? Actually, Kat, sorry, sorry, how rude, how rude of me. Have you yourself been in such a situation in the last month or so? Um, in the last month, no, no, and it's only because if I'm going to get groped, at a Broadway or a traveling Broadway show, I want it to be at one particular show. Um, it's it's just very special to me. Like I feel like it would be just the most kind of perfect romantic setting for it. Um, and that's and that's Beetlejuice. Ah, well, that would make sense. That would make sense. That is yeah, the one. I mean, the most romantic, you know, the most sexual of all of the musicals currently on offer. I, I just can't think of a better one. <laughs> is making me think of a it's it's the actual it's like sort of the opposite can i tell you about i've had the opposite experience you ready for the opposite what is what is there's an opposite there's an opposite so this was the first year of grad school i was hanging out with a friend who um i've been friends with yeah for years now um but this was like maybe the first or second like second time we'd hung out and we were just you know, in New York, trying to figure out what to do. And we went to go see the movie Short Bus. Do you know what that is? By the guy who did Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Okay. Um, And it turned out to be just like this extremely explicit movie about orgies. And we just didn't know. And I mean, we're like, you know, we considered ourselves like open-minded 20-somethings in the big city, you know? Mm-hmm. And we were, we, it was just extremely awkward because we were just like, well, that, we are watching hardcore <laughs> pornography in the movie theater. We did, I mean, it isn't. It, it's like meant. It's it's a movie, but it's because um, I really like Hedwig, and I was like, oh, that'll be this will be fun. But anyway, so Lauren, how do you pronounce her name? Because I don't get a like. I don't have a television. I I just watch art films. Just kidding. I mean, um, I assume I assume it's Bober. I it can't Bober. Bobert. I mean, no, I'm being thrown off because I'm thinking of it's like. I see that oh Ian thinks like it's a Dutch thing. Um yeah, so Bobert, Bibit. we're gonna say Bibert. Yeah. With an umlaut. Um so Lauren Bobert, we're saying, or Boobert? Boobert would be funnier. Yeah, no, Lauren Lauren Boobert had her bobes touched at a <laughs> <laughs> Are are the bobes are they authentic? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I only know about this like from tweets and then I finally saw the video of it after this has been discussed. So she is a politician, American, of oh, those Americans. I could say this, <laughs> even though I'm still American. Um, she's a representative from Colorado, a Republican, um, a conservative sort, um, who is, I guess, very socially conservative apparently or anti-vaxxer or none of these things or am i is am i in the right wheelhouse here i've googled it i did not ever pay attention to this woman before you know it's funny i i only know her as i think she's somebody sort of trump adjacent she's definitely a republican she's definitely like 
one of the kind of like new class of conservatives who I don't think are in fact that conservative. They're like more MAGA people. Yes. Okay. So sort of a populist type. So she kind of reminds me um, in biography and aesthetic of kind of a young Sarah Palin. Does this seem at all possible to you? Yeah. Do you see that? Like, you know, sort of attractive and um, relatable to the every woman. Not, she's not an Elizabeth Warren. She's not a great legal scholar. She is a woman of the people. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she's also a 36-year-old grandmother, which um, in the milieus where people who are 36 are, you know, not generally a grandmother, that is, um, you know, it marks her as a little different. So um, this will be relevant later in our conversation about this. Um, So basically, she, I guess, is divorced. Is that correct? From some guy who sounds like he was not very nice. Yeah, you know, you you clearly know more about this than I do. Really? Okay. Oh my gosh, I feel so <laughs> in over my head. But apparently, so she she got married very young, divorced, I guess, or separated. I don't know. I don't know the legal status. But anyway, she was with some guy, some new guy who's a, has a bar or something, and um, the bar sometimes hosts drag shows. Much was made of this because it's like aha on some level. I don't really see the aha, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, I guess she's probably against drag shows being MAGA or whatever, but she hooked up with this guy um, in the theater um, and also vaped. I don't know what she was vaping. I don't know whether this is known or... um... Oh, I think just nicotine. Oh, well, that's okay. Um, Anyway, so... Yeah, I I have trouble getting too worked up about that one, honestly. Like, I mean, I know that... Oh, you know, there's a lot of vape haters out there and um, there's been this quest to kind of... I don't know, act as though there's a qu- an equivalency between the groping and the vaping as though they're both bad in the exact same way or like, you know, or indelicate or indecorous in the exact same way. And I don't know. I just, I'm just, I can't quite get there. Well, I think that there's something about, and, and this will come up, there's something about a 36-year-old behaving in a way that is expected more of a younger person where there's some commonality. And I think that that is maybe why it gets brought up together. Not necessarily to say that one thing is equivalent to the other, but more like that she's sort of having an adolescent moment, you know, of sort of going with her bodily impulses rather than the decorum one would expect of a representative or whatever. So anyway, um, (laughs) there were two times that this came up for me in my... um, glancing at former Twitter. Um, And one was that somebody had tweeted something about how you would expect this of a 21 year old, but how it's so weird that like this woman in her mid thirties is horny (laughs) or something. And somebody (laughs) I follow tweeted something like, that's not weird. Like people still have sex when they're, you know, not 21 anymore. Um, Which I thought was a a fair point and uh, touche. That is, that is accurate about human human life <laughs> yes touche to the 15 year old who imagined otherwise exactly i mean it just uh it, it's yeah yeah i think there's something though also specifically and this will come up in a later segment but i think there's something with women specifically being 36 that that's like so that that's done right a man might be 36 and having sex but a woman at 36 that's she's not relevant anymore right like that couldn't be it couldn't be not physically possible 
Right. Yeah. She. You're. You're actually all of your equipment down there. It winks out of existence. They call it hitting mm-hmm. the wall, but it's. Um, <laughs> it's more like it's more like a wall forms. Mm-hmm. That's true. Science has shown. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. They need to cover this in health class. Right, the two. The two ages. <laughs> the two ages are too young to consent, which goes from actually too young to consent up to thirty, and then thirty and up is too old for it to be physically possible. Yes, unless you're dating a celebrity and then, um, or at least if you're dating Al Pacino and then all bets are off. Right, right. So that was right. really her big mistake was to not be in the theater with Al Pacino. But <laughs> Robert De Niro is the one who was, where it's like the 45-year-old woman. I don't know. I don't know. I remember they both had, they both had young girlfriends. Everybody was really grossed out and freaked I'm out. Still, I'm um, still upset about it. Um, so yeah, then this came, so that's one way this came up. But the other way it came up was some tweets that I saw from Dan Savage, um, who I have been an, I've been an avid Dan Savage follower for many years. And um, this one, okay, so he's, he was tweeting about the midlife crisis as being kind of a thing that was a, a big deal when he was growing up and that it was in in movies and in novels and things like that. But then, so he tweets, with straight people marrying and having kids later in life, you hear a lot less about the midlife crisis these days because people are having lives. They're living a little or a lot before settling down. And then he uses this as kind of a segue to an Amanda Marcotte article about um, Bobert's stuff going on. Um, so I thought all of this was interesting and I, I guess it might be necessary to kind of like separate out the midlife crisis angle from the Amanda Marcotte angle because they're not exactly the same, but the midlife crisis thing I thought was interesting. I thought it was interesting. He specifically said this because another thing that Dan Savage often talks about is that like, you know, a lot of people have, it's not a really a question of sowing wild oats and that's why people who have been married for a long time will end up you know, opening their marriages or whatever, you know, like that's something he also talks about a lot. So I, was, I guess I was just wondering whether this is even by his framework, a thing, the not, the having sort of gotten stuff out of your system and settling down, you know? So that was one angle of this I was wondering about, because I was thinking, and then this does relate to the Amanda Marcotte angle, that I think a lot of this is just, um, so her, her point is that um, this Lauren Bobert had basically done what social conservatives say you should do. She married young. She valued marriage. She started a family young. That's how she's 36 and already has a grandchild. And look at what where that left her, right? Now she's, you know, off, you know, groping in the movie, or not, sorry, in the theater, theater. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, what's funny to me is the idea that this represents like rock bottom. Could, she can only she can only fall further. It's like I don't know. By some people's definition, this is like a very good time. I mean, who's to say? Right. I mean, she's... I think the the <laughs> I'm sure. So I think the idea is that and there were children around. I don't know to what extent that's theoretical or true. Whether this is like there might have been children around or there were that I have not investigated. Okay, I have actually seen Beetlejuice on Broadway. So our guest expert will be weighing in now. Yeah, we're going to say his name three times, uh, and then he's going to... No, I'm just kidding. That's a Beetlejuice joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I am familiar with Beetlejuice. Okay, yes. okay, okay. Um, so, all right, the, sh- the Broadway show, I 
ended up seeing it, and this was not by design. Um, we were gifted tickets to it that turned out to be the final matinee performance of the show on Broadway ever. So how many small children? Well, like none. But, but more importantly, um, I saw it in this audience of super fans. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> That's, th- this is just to say that like it was just, like the ultimate Beetlejuice experience you know you were going to get like the kind of most boiled down essential like as it should be Beetlejuice mm-hmm. experience seeing it seeing it as it was enjoying its like very last swan song on Broadway um, two things about this show like it is raunchy it's super raunchy I mean the, the movie is raunchy and you know Broadway is a raunchy place and like Beetlejuice on Broadway is a raunchy show it's full of stuff that's like definitely not for little kids um, I don't know who would bring a little kid to this show but if they did like they're they're acknowledging that their kid's gonna see and hear some stuff that's a little wacky um, and more importantly, maybe the crowd was like rowdy as hell. It's uh, it's not a show that you go to like sit at decorously in total silence, like having no fun. So what what base did you get to, would you say, at, at that performance? Okay, so you know how there's this big sandworm thing in the show, in the movie? Well, I hooked up with that. And I don't know what base you would say you got to because like the shape of the thing, it doesn't have individual parts. So I touched it all. And I think I got to maybe fifth or sixth base with it. Good. Okay. I'm glad. To, I'm glad. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah. So, the, so basically what struck me about this story is that there used to be something when a 36-year-old woman was a grandmother and had large, prominent, possibly um, artificial breasts. There was there was a word for this, right? It was called trashy. Now, oh, I was like gilf. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that too. But there was like people would talk about this in kind of what would be now considered classist terms. That's mm-hmm. not done. That would be wrong. That would be an ism. Isms are not allowed. <laughs> nor are other things that sound like that. Um, so basically. You can't say that anymore in polite society. So instead of this being, here is this kind of trashy woman who dropped out of high school, is 36 years old, a grandmother, and hooking up with some guy in a public space that's not really designed for that. Instead, it's like, you have to give some kind of moral framework to it that has to do with politics on some sort of like high-minded way, right? Like it has to be like this Amanda Marcotte piece is now what I'm talking about is this sort of the social conservatism angle that like, see, this is what happens when you, you know, think you're putting religion first or whatever. And that's where that's where abstinence education gets you or whatever, you know, something like that, you have to give that kind of spin. And I feel like all this is showing you is like that certain types of people do things certain types of ways. And I don't think that we're actually seeing anything new. I think that there are people just like this lady in a posh setting and that what would be happening there is the 36 year old woman would maybe meet the guy at 16, but only marry him a lot later. She probably would not be a grandmother at 36. And when she's hooking up, she's doing so more discreetly and she's maybe calling it ethically non-monogamous and she's still married. Yeah. Yeah. That all actually sounds about right to me. So to me, this just seemed like a real, like this just, this just class. And that just, 
Uh, I don't know. And I mean, who, like, I feel ridiculous because I am not like in my day to day life. Like my world is like 36. The, the mothers who are 36 are a little young. Like oh. it's not, um, but it just, it, is this not like just sort of a class thing? It seems like it to me. And I mean, I, it's interesting. I've not been super aware of Lauren Boebert just because she's, um, you know, not like, what's the word I'm looking for? She doesn't intersect with pop culture in such a way that I like have ever had reason to really write about her. Um, she's just a politician who, you know, is kind of like extreme and obnoxious. And, you know, I, I know she says and, and does a lot of stuff that I would disagree with, um, like on policy grounds, if nothing else. But the one time prior to this that I was aware of her, it was because a bunch of people on the left in like the media were talking about how she looks like a porn star and that's like that's sort of her aesthetic and it's part of her appeal and uh and that too was very infused with like these sort of classist overtones i thought that everybody's supposed to be sex worker positive i know i know and yet um but the thing is that you know in in many ways i mean she's just like far more normal not that it's like a typical thing necessarily to be a grandmother at at 36 even in normie circles but just like the way that she the way she looks the you know the way she behaves the type of stuff she does for fun like I mean she is in many ways like a kind of a mainstream American character but she's just not the kind of person who, until more recently, when we've had this sort of like little populist um, resurgence in politics, who would have held elected office, you know? I mean, I think she would have failed for the same reasons that Sarah Palin, who I think you were apt to compare her to, um, you know, did fail. Like, she she was kind of too trashy to make it. Like, it just it just didn't really work out for her yeah yeah I mean I, I think that's I think what's happening here is that like it didn't work when there was the whole sort of smug John Stewart on the Daily Show style critique of conservatism that obviously did not you know work out well politically right like I think that's fair to say that that was not like a good win for Democrats and I don't think that that here is necessarily the best strategy to be like look at this trashy lady and then expect people to you know, like, I don't, I don't think it's really, I, I don't feel like there's all that much hypocrisy. Like, there is enough actual hypocrisy, like the stuff that Dan Savage talks about on his podcast with, like, you know, preachers and youth group leaders or whatever who turn out to be molesters. Like, there's enough actual, like, sort of, <laughs> like, unambiguous hypocrisy out there that I feel like a 36-year-old woman, you know, hooking up in a theater is, like, not i don't know like this this seems like one of these rare cases where you can just be like let us be french about it you know although the french it wouldn't be vaping it would just be like a regular cigarette but um <laughs> that's that's yeah that's true that's the one place where this diverges from the french version of the incident um well, i mean i don't know i i th remember seeing a tweet about this i think it was from leighton woodhouse um who's this uh writer who covers well a bunch of stuff but anyway i, I thought this was a an interesting and and I think pretty good tweet. It was something like, if I didn't care about somebody getting a blowjob in the Oval Office, I'm not going to care about Lauren Boeber, you know, <laughs> getting to third base at a in a theater. And I think that is about where I fall on this. You know, I mean, ultimately, like, would I prefer my elected officials have a little more decorum 
um, a little more class, if you want to say that, than than to, um, you know, <laughs> sully public spaces and or like our most sacred political spaces <laughs> with <laughs> sexual activity. Yeah, you know, ideally, like, I, I don't know, maybe maybe take that somewhere else. But I can't get too twisted up about it. I don't know. I, I've thought of nothing else and have slept none, no time whatsoever since since the story broke. Um, but actually, so there's another story, though. Uh, do you have a segue or should I do one? No, you do it. Actually, wait, hold on. We should pause to do our mid-show announcement that we are Feminine Chaos. We are a podcast. If you enjoy this conversation and you would like to hear more like it, we invite you to join us on Substack at femchaospod.substack.com, where for $5 a month, you will receive access to exclusive subscribers-only episodes, two per month at least. Sometimes we do an extra. Uh, We also do open threads. uh, We have comments. We sometimes do AMAs. And we would love to have you join us there to support the podcast. That's true. We really would. And thank you for listening. Um, <laughs> really want- <laughs> no, fuck you. We don't want you. Right, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, People say we agree with each other too much oh, on this podcast. Yeah, so, so we this are is, in firm, this is disagree- firm disagreement over whether you should listen to this podcast. Um, I say you should. Cat's like, no, 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 don't do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So 36 would be a little old for a certain man who's been in the news <laughs> recently. Leonardo DiCaprio? No, no. No, a different one. Um, Russell Brand. Have you given much thought to Russell Brand in your time? Are you brand loyal? <laughs> Phoebe. Sorry. <laughs> I had to. Um, you know, I, I have spent probably an inordinate amount of time thinking about Russell Brand's hair specifically. I really want to know how and why it does what it does. It seems like it defies the laws of physics. And I think that NASA should investigate this because there's definitely something going on there. But apart from that, no, I don't really spend much time thinking about Russell Brand at all. What does he, because he was with Katy Perry. That's all I ever knew about him. He's a comedian. He's an actor. Uh, He was pretty funny in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Right. That's what he was in. Yes. Okay. That's yes. that's where I have um, seen him. Yes. But lately he's he's taken a turn. I don't think he even does acting anymore. Now he is a sort of a political personality and he has like a YouTube channel or a podcast or a podcast that's on YouTube. I don't know. I don't watch it. But he's So he's a um, colleague of ours, a fellow podcaster. Basically, yeah, we're practically married or cousins or mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. to Russell Brand. Um, but he, as I understand it, uh, spends a lot of time on his podcast proliferating, if not exactly conspiracy theories, and I think some of them are, then like conspiracy adjacent theories. Does about, that sound? About what? Oh, I don't know. Stuff. Stuff. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm on his Wikipedia now in real time to see why he's... Um... What he cares about. Tell me, what does his Wikipedia page say about his content lately? His next book, Mentors, How to Help and Be Helped, was published in January 2019. It deals with the people who have had a positive impact on his life and encourages us to look to others to become better individuals. (laughs) That sounds like the kind of book you can only publish if you are extremely famous to begin with. (laughs) That doesn't sound like it's about a whole heck of a lot of anything. But what does he think about anything? I have absolutely no idea. He... Here. Oh, it says, okay, conspiracy just... theories. I've reached the part about conspiracy theories, something about COVID, COVID denialism and conspiracy theories, um, trad socialist values. 
I, I Googled while you were doing that, I Googled Russell Brand conspiracy theories um, and discovered that all of the results were that the allegations against him that he's a sexual abuser are a conspiracy theory. So then I had to alter my search results to eliminate anything from the past year. And then I found this post from Unheard, a site for which I am also a columnist, uh, titled, Is Russell Brand a Conspiracy Theorist? So maybe we can answer this question in real time. Okay. Um, I, there's a picture of Brand. Um, it might actually be a video. He's looking exceptionally orange. He must be wearing like some um, some tan makeup here. He's in a MAGA thing, maybe. That would be an interesting thing. I've, I've always wondered why it is that Donald Trump is so orange too. I mean, is it like is it makeup? Does he self tan? Hmm. Um, okay, yes. Brand like Greenwald is a left winger who has probably read Noam Chomsky's classic work of media criticism, manufacturing consent more than once and argues that this is a classic case of censorship. This is the Hunter Biden story. Um, This is Brand's quote. We're talking about sleaze, corruption, financial misdemeanors, and relationships, between, uh, and relationships between corporations, big business, and politicians. Let's face it, unless you're bloody stupid. Should I be reading this in an English accent? Definitely. <laughs> you know that's going on all the time. For me, revelations are there. Financial connections between energy companies in Ukraine. Energy. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I don't even know if that's what he sounds like. Um, anyway, okay. So he is a subscriber at least to the idea that there was um, something happening between Hunter Biden, the Biden administration and um, Ukrainian interests, etc. So, you know, conspiracy theorist, I don't know. He's maybe maybe an edge case. But at any rate, what's he now? He now is an alleged rapist. And it sounds like a credibly alleged, at least going by I, I don't know, is credibly that I, I'm not the legal terminology person. Going by the things I have read about this, there was a big article about it um, that was then paywalled, but then there was some way you could read it anyway, and a lot of discussion about whether you should pay some kind of four pounds or something to read it. I forget where already this was. Basically detailing that he um, did a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. You said credibly accused. I mean, I I also found the allegations credible. And, you know, I'm obviously a big due process person. I don't think that he should be thrown in jail, um, you know, without without a trial. Uh, I don't even really, even in cases like this, I don't really like for, you know, a person to suffer like this kind of social death or to have their, um, you know, their entire life kind of ruined or, or their career utterly ruined, you know, to be able to, un- or rather to be unable to make a living as a result of allegations. Um, but nevertheless, that being said, I, I do think he did the things that he's accused of it seems pretty ironclad right so this was in the sunday Um, times that's this article that we're talking about right the times of london yes the times of london not the new york times of course the the british one yes right so it sounds like he's but but what was so the angle that we were specifically talking about though was the age gap discussion that seems to have come out of this so it seems like we are once again in one of these situations where there's not really like a whole lot to say about the sort of bad man at the center of things other than yep (laughs) but then there's like this sort of broader (laughs) conversation about like something else that came up sort of on the adjacent to it which is what a 16 year old like is there is it what he did to a 16 year old or is it the very fact that they're being a 16-year-old amongst adults to begin with. 
Right. Is it what he did to a 16-year-old or what a 16-year-old chose to do with him? Can 16-year-olds make such choices, et cetera, et cetera? And like, just to uh, catch folks up in case they haven't actually read the piece, uh, the investigative report in question, there's one section. Um, it's it's hard to read, honestly. It, this woman who is called Alice in the piece, I don't think that's her real name, but her allegation is that she was involved with him at the age of 16 that he was like, what, 32 at the time? Um, And what's interesting is that at the time, you know, she got involved with him in a kind of very insistent way. You know, she she was like choosing her choices with this and 16 is over the age of consent. So it's not like there was any like legal avenue that her parents could pursue to stop her from seeing him. But she now feels, in hindsight, that the relationship was wrong and abusive and shouldn't have been legally permissible. And so she wants the laws changed and the age of consent changed to protect girls like her from choosing the choices they would otherwise make. And this has obviously spurred a lot of age gap, age of consent conversation online with people suggesting that, like, yeah, maybe we do need to up the age of consent um, or maybe we need to make it so that like, oh, what is the most ridiculous one that I saw? It was uh, that nobody under the age of 18 should be involved with anyone over the age of 18 and it should be illegal to do this full stop, which of course, like the very first thing I thought was, say you've got two high school students dating each other, like they could even both be high school seniors, but one of them has a birthday in March and the other one has a birthday in September. And like one of them turns 18 and the other is still 17. And what, like, what do they do? Right. I guess some places have age gap law, right? Like where you can consent to certain things at certain ages, like you could, right? Where like, to so as to avoid having it be that like the 14 year old and the 16 year old are in trouble but so as to also have the 14 year old not out on the town with the 50 year old yeah there are these um they're called romeo and juliet laws right right that's the that's what they're called correct yeah they're in place not necessarily across the board i think some u.s states have them As I understand it, they're also kind of sporadically enforced where, you know, just because your state has a Romeo and Juliet law in effect, that doesn't mean that, for instance, if you are 15 and you send your 17-year-old boyfriend an image of your naked body, that you won't both be prosecuted for possessing child pornography so it's a whole mess sure sure i mean i I guess i guess what i'm just sort of struck by is i I mean i think like uh, there's a difference between like there should be in the law a difference between what very young people are up to on their own versus like predators you know and i think it's tricky because you know 14 is different from 16, 16 is different from 18. And then the next thing you know, you have like the whole thing of the 45 year old um, child with Robert Pacino and Al De Niro. Both. Robert Pacino. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So it seems like, I mean, something that I thought that came through with some of the tweets I was reading about this was that like, you can respect, you can talk about the man is predatory, but still talk about the woman or girl is having agency and that you don't have to just like decide that if a man is predatory, he was preying upon like, you know, a kitten, like this is still a person with like, you know, 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, I don't know, at the kind of extremes of this as a thought experiment, what you end up with is like a predator without prey. Yes, kind of. Yeah, I mean, there is something weird in the culture where like obviously models until recently, although I think this is starting to probably be the same again, is just models would be really young, right? Or Mm -hmm. slightly older women who just happen to look really, really young. And there is this kind of idea that like, the the women presented as the most beautiful are not even women yet. And yet when men react in some way to that, it's like it, this gets very much conflated with them being sort of, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, I mean, I think the reason that models are so young is not that there's some sort of like objective evolutionary psychology reason that they have to be. I think it's that it makes older women feel bad and buy more stuff, but um, that's, because obviously, as we know, 36-year-old women can be out there um, being interesting as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in theaters near you. I was going to say only <laughs> only at uh, touring Broadway productions, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I have... I, I, I'll say when I saw this about Russell Brand, my first thought was like, hasn't he already been me too Isn't this like a re- rerun? Like, I assumed he was one who had already been me too but apparently this is new. Or is this just extra, an extra level? Uh, no, I think that this is new. And, you know, this is interesting. It's funny, like, probably the only time that these two men's names are going to be, um, you know, uttered in the same sentence or in a comparative way. But, like, it reminds me in certain ways of the Me Tooing of Andrew Cuomo, which you know, <laughs> is bizarre. But, like, it's it's basically been kind of indicated and and I think that this is true that his behavior was an open secret for a really really long time just as Andrew Cuomo's kind of like grody behavior around female colleagues and aides and such was also something that people had known about for a really long time like there was a point at which he was like hey I'm Italian you know of (laughs) course I'm gonna do a little a little grope and a little kissing you know there's nothing it doesn't mean anything and like the thing was people tolerated it um, until it became politically expedient to bring these charges up and and use them to kind of torpedo his career like suddenly people didn't want him around anymore and it was proving very difficult to get rid of him but you know a me tooing is one very very effective even ironclad way to get rid of a guy and like here you have not just the fact that um you know people knew about him for like literal decades not to mention the fact that his whole like his whole shtick was to be like a massive prick and a sex addict and a player and a jerk. Like that was his, you know, he talks about it all the time. Like everyone knew he was like this. I do think that there was a little bit of this effect of like people knew about this, but they didn't care about it until it became more valuable to care about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, or I mean, or it's just that people are protected until they're sort of, not you know what I mean like like you could look at it in either framing right that either it becomes that people want to take somebody down and they me too them or it's that they should have been me too'd all along but they were being protected because they were like too popular or are they just two sides of the same coin basically or even like two different ways of saying the same exact thing your way might have been a little bit more politically correct than mine so we'll go with yours well I I'll, I'll be woke baby um yeah 
yeah, that could be. I mean, the thing that struck me about this is that in the aftermath of the allegations coming out, um, and I just like, just to put a pin in this one more time, I do think they're credible. I do think he did it. Um, but you had people going back to this interview that Katy Perry gave after they divorced. They were only together for like a year or something like that. Um, and at the time when they got divorced, she gave this interview saying basically that he was like controlling and abusive and not a good guy and that she knew other things about him um, that she was keeping like in her back pocket for a rainy day. And everyone is kind of going back to revisit this now and being like, oh, what did she know? Like she must have known something. Thing. And yeah, you know, I think she probably did. But what really strikes me is that open admission of like, I, I can ruin this person. I probably will. But like, not until it is like, not until it makes sense for me, you know, like not until this information becomes more valuable, and I can trot it out. Yeah, that's not that's not right. It's not. It's not. I mean, I don't know. I find it interesting, though, because it is like, as these things go, it's a very, very savvy risk benefit calculation. And it may, be not, it may not be right, but like, is it is it wrong for women to do that? You know, to kind of say like, this is bad, but bringing out the information and like publicly alleging what I know will also be bad for me unless I time it correctly. So maybe I should time it correctly. I think that's just a thought to keep to yourself. I think that's a thought to keep to yourself. If you're not prepared to say the thing, just don't say anything. Because I think everybody is always making some kind of risk benefit analysis of what they say. I don't think that, you know, I don't think that everybody is always acting in the sort of maximally most, you know, altruistic way at all times. I think it's just like, why would you say that? I don't know. It seems like a weird thing to say. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the saying it out loud that I found very interesting because I think that that is rare. But I think it's the saying it out loud that's rare. I don't think the, the calculation itself is rare. Although this is actually making me think of something else from the sort of early Me Too days and the, all the discussion of whisper networks where there was, you would often see women in journalism put on, on Twitter something like, you know, we all we all know who they are yeah yeah oh oh yeah we we know or something it would be like glad glad you know or or something would come out and people would be like oh yeah well we all knew it's like well what's that and it would seem like somebody was more sharing that they're well connected than that they were then actually sharing any kind of like actionable information does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah i think that's part of it i think also that there's just this desire whenever this happens to like, you know, to, for people to make themselves a part of it, or at least some people clearly feel that desire. And this is one way of doing it. I think another way of doing it, um, and it's sort of related to that, is that once stories start coming out about somebody, like you have people coming out of the woodwork to be like, well, you know, he didn't assault me, but like... I was in the bathroom with him once and he didn't wash his hands after he peed, you know, or something <laughs> like that. You know, everyone has, everyone wants to like share a story or persuade other people to share a story. And it becomes like anytime that this person was rude to you or wronged you in any way, it just becomes part of like that. Can I, this of... reminds me of my, my tangential relationship to the shitty media men list, which was that there was one person on it for being like obnoxious, who was a gay man who had not sexually harassed or been accused of sexually harassing any women or anybody. Um, and he had been annoying to me on Twitter. I didn't like do anything about this. I just like noticed I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> like same person was annoying on multiple occasions. That's, and it, it always seemed very strange to me that that was somehow supposed to be a me too 
story when I see more like a that guy's kind of annoying story, a, you know, a pattern of behavior of being kind of annoying. I mean, that was what the whole, like, whatever the shitty media med list was supposed to be at its outset, that is certainly what it became. It became like a little compilation, an anthology of men who had been annoying. Yeah, I mean, well, it was all sorts of things, right? And that's what I like. That's why I don't think it's helpful if you're trying to get people to take, you know, sexual assault more seriously to wrap it up with things like um, people being a bit annoying, which we can all be, all of us. And uh, so I'm going to be annoying and mention another article, even though we, you would think we're all tapped out here. But no, no. <sighs> Phoebe, I'm annoyed by this. Okay, so... <laughs> Do you know who Jan Wenner or Jan Venner or whoever this is? Do you know who that is? I was trying to think of a Boobert joke, but I couldn't I couldn't get there. Uh, yeah, the Rolling Stone editor in chief. Okay, I had not thought about this person ever. I know what Rolling Stone is. I knew that there was this controversy, like a journalism controversy about Rolling Stone and a story about sexual assault that had not been, um, I guess, well vetted. For those not in the know, Phoebe is talking about the 2015 story, A Rape on Campus, which was published in Rolling Stone by, uh, what's her name? Sabrina Rubin Ederly. Am I right about this? I'm going to have to check. Yes, Sabrina Rubin Ederly. Okay, um, this story was published to enormous acclaim. It made a huge splash. It sparked this massive conversation about sexual assault on campus. And then it turned out to be based on a huge lie. It was retracted, which is like unheard of uh, for a story like this to have to be retracted. It just like it, it means it was really, really bad for those who are not media insiders. It means it was like just beyond bad. Um, and so so that that is really the only reason I have had to think about Rolling Stone in years. It's one of those websites that, you know, the way all websites produce kind of interchangeable articles in the kind of take landscape, you know, with aggregation and all this. Like, I'm sure I read articles that were on RollingStone.com without thinking about it. You know what I mean? But it's not like the, the rock and roll version of Rolling Stone is not something I have... Uh, given much thought to certainly like since being maybe you know 11 and being more into music in that way where I would maybe like cut something out from a magazine but Jan Wenner he's been not me too'd the other one he's been 2020 style canceled because he was chotenerd by somebody who wasn't even chotener he wasn't even chotenerd by the OG. He was chotenerd by Chotner 2.0. Um, he chotenerd himself. Like this, he did this... chotener himself. He yes, he he didn't. Is it, hoisted by own petard even enough? He, hmm, I think he built some kind of elaborate dungeon on which he petarded himself. He bricked himself in like uh, like the guy in the cask of Amontillado. Yeah, I don't know. We can we can find many many a reference. Yeah. So basically, uh, David David Marchese. Marchese? I don't know. We're gonna... Ugh, I just give up. People. Person A and person B. We're having a conversation. Um, so basically, in the Times, he gave... The, in the New York Times, Wenner gave this interview about his new book, which is called The Masters, because of course it is, um, about where... It, it's his interviews with rock legends such as Mick Jagger and Bob Dylan, people of that nature. All of whom are his friends, personal friends. All of whom are his friends, and he does interviews that are very chummy, where he allows the interviewee to edit the interview. It's that style of, if you can call it journalism. And 
he has, you know, he's he's 77 and he has a, a new book that's these interviews. And because it's 2023 and one asks such questions, uh, the Times reporter, who is, uh, as best as I can tell himself, a white man, asked Wenner about these all being white men. And he did so, and I think this is interesting, prompted partly by Wenner himself mentioning this apparently in the book, saying that he's aware that they are all... Well, it sounds like he maybe said that he's aware that they're all white, which is also interesting, I think. Not colorblind, this one. No, but something else is up. But uh, then is where it gets really... So you think, okay, at first I was reading this and I'm thinking, well, look, we're, we're all allowed to have our seven favorites. And if his seven favorites happen to be white men, well, maybe that's just a sign that society has long been biased towards white men, and maybe it's more the result of that than anything about Wenner specific, whatever, you know. I was thinking, like, okay, well, there's that angle. However, then then he starts holding forth about how he doesn't think there are any um, women or black people in music articulate enough to have made the cut to be in this book. Can I read his quote? (laughs) This, This is amazing. So, like... David Marchese, Marchese, more cheese. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'd like some more cheese right now. Uh, he he asks, <laughs> as a little aside there, he starts asking about, you know, the the lack of women represented here. And um, Venner, Wenner says, the people had to meet a couple criteria, but it was just kind of my personal interest and love of them. Insofar as the women, just none of them were as articulate enough on this intellectual level. <laughs> David Marchese says, oh, stop it. You're telling me Joni Mitchell is not articulate enough on an intellectual level? Venner says, hold on a second. Marchese says, I'll let you rephrase that. <laughs> like, bless him. He's really trying to, like, save this man's life. And then Wenner says, all right, thank you. It's not that they're not creative geniuses. It's not that they're inarticulate, although go have a deep conversation with Grace Slick or Janice Joplin. Please be my guest. I think actually this is because they're dead. So, you know, fine. Um, But he says, you know, Joni was not a philosopher of rock and roll. She didn't, in my mind, meet that test. Not by her work, not by other interviews she did. The people I interviewed were the kind of philosophers of rock. Oh, God. Oh, buddy. Philosopher of rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, so the the women thing I thought was interesting because I only learned in the comments to this article that he's gay, and I always I feel like that could have been his life raft here. He could have at least for the women part been like I feel a connection to male artists due to my sexual orientation, my minority sexual orientation, and I think Mick Jagger's really hot. And he could have been like, look, I, these are just all the artists I slept with personally. Exactly, it could have. <laughs> I mean, he could have, I think there's a way he could have done this, but I, but he's not approaching this as a gay man. He's approaching this as a man who may happen to be gay and that's sort of neither here nor there. He's basically saying that, uh, it, like what, what I thought was interesting about all of this, it reminded me a lot of the sort of men who will post in some kind of comment forum that women look better without makeup, women look better in this type of out. And it's like they, where they imagine that what they think looks better on a woman is some sort of like universal pronouncement. You know what I mean? Like he seems like he can't, he doesn't want to lean into that. These are his subjective seven favorites. Like he kind of goes with that to, you know, exculpate himself a bit, but he also wants to be like, no, no, I, I, the, the thing that I loved in this interview is that he said that there was a test that they had to sort of pass. There's always no test. You picked seven people. It's not a test. 
Like, what, did he have some... That, that's, that's his choice, you know? Those are his favorites. And it's just... What frustrated me about this story was that I do think people should be able to like what they like in terms of art and that there shouldn't be some kind of, like, diversity or Benetton ad or whatever type requirement. Because also, like, the world's a big place. Like, does it... You know, maybe it depends where you're from. You know, like, maybe if you're... Korean and your seven favorites are Korean this isn't like Korean supremacy but it's just where you live you know what I mean like it's I think people should be allowed to have their favorites but then it's like he's not saying these are his favorites he's saying that they are the best the fact that he uses the masters I feel like is interesting just because it shows you where he is in his career and in terms of the sort of the culture because like anybody else trying to call a book that in 2023 would be like that that would be you know like in an era when you can't say master bedroom I don't think that would probably go over too well. But also, uh, like, it, he, there's this thing where he himself is like, he's a tastemaker. This is, he's a curator. You know, this isn't just some guy with, you know, artistic preferences. And I feel like that's, like, this does not, I don't want to be the Hannah Gadsby here. And I think that the danger is to look at this and then, land in a kind of Hannah Gatsby-like place. And that's how I felt, like, when with this list of Joni Mitchell and all these different musicians, you know? It's like, they're great, and they shouldn't be, like, the vegetables that Jan Wenner has to, you know, ingest. They're, mm-hmm. like, just actually, like, you know, great musicians. Right. I agree wholeheartedly with all that. I, of course, was most taken by this other thing he said um, earlier in the interview where Marchese, again, to his credit, asks about the rape on campus story. And Venner says, other than this one key fact that the rape described actually was a fabrication of this woman, the rest of the story was bulletproof. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay, that is the best. That is the best. That is like, that is, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play levels of just (laughs) (laughs) missing the forest for the trees or or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because by the time you get to the part about the, his problematic faves, it's like, he's already so fucked. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I mean, I just, like, what is my takeaway from this interview? It's probably it's probably good that he's decided to retire. Yeah, I mean, I think what I found, you know, because this is all about me, much like Russell Brand is all about me, and, um, you know, Lauren Bubert, I take it all extremely personally. Um, yeah, I have met men like this in media, you know, along the way, who definitely have this idea that, like, the white men are the geniuses and anytime anybody who isn't a white man comes up in any capacity, maybe there will be like one allotted, like there's a- allowed to be one sort of smart black person, one smart woman who's probably not black and everybody, every other, t- you know, like they, they'll get allowed in, but everybody else, it's all some sort of like PC conspiracy that they would even be allowed to do anything like, and then they have all these faves who are, you know, largely pretty, uh, you know, to use the <laughs> the one-time popular trip, mediocre. Yeah, that exists, and it does. And I think there's, like, this weird idea that because the, the things can't exist simultaneously in the culture, I think there can be this sort of, like, hyper-PC sort of moment and also 
that there are a lot of men like this in actual positions of power and things are have always been like that. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, I have definitely encountered this. This is not obsolete. It's not restricted to 77 year olds. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, exposing it, like I think is certainly good. I don't know whether as with me too, whether this sort of like piecemeal, here's one who who was bad publicly and will take him down. And is he like, what does he even mean? He's retired. Like how, how much is he being taken down at this point? Well, I mean, he was removed from the board at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I'm going to guess that that was received by him as a serious wound. And, uh, you know, it's it's interesting, like he can still be made to, to suffer consequences for for the things that he said. Um, not that I necessarily think, I don't know, this is an interesting case, actually, in which because what he said really does suggest that he does not have the disposition to be voting on like the qualifications of of many, many artists for inclusion in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think it's probably appropriate that he was relieved of that position. I was going to say this comes up all the time in academia, where there's this question of like, yes, on the one hand, you want academics to have, you know, freedom of expression, like everybody should, but you know, also like, freedom to say whatever pops into their head and not be fired for it. However, can you have somebody deciding admissions, deciding, like, you know, supervising students, writing letters of recommendation, whose principal belief is that, you know, women are like so, black people are like so. Does that, you know, or does that conflict with their core work? Okay, so I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Okay, but what I was going to say is I think, I don't mean that, like, I don't, I'm not talking about people who study something a little controversial i'm talking about something like the amy wax right who like where they are sort of they're professional polemicists my question is you're talking about amy like someone like amy wax is there actually anyone like amy wax except for amy wax well there was there was jordan peterson but he is not a professor anymore because he's doing whatever it is he's doing mm-hmm. yeah i think there are yeah actually i would say there there are but they're not not famous but yeah there are people like that out there in academia absolutely yeah. Mm, well, I don't know. It's it's so far outside my wheelhouse. Um, I mean, I would just say that like, insofar as I've witnessed people being kind of pushed out of academia on that basis, where it's like, how can you teach a diverse class of students where you when you believe X, Y, and Z, the beliefs in question have never been anything even remotely close to the kind of like race essentialism or whatever of, of an Amy Wax. Um, it's been more like, you know, how can you teach a diverse class of students when you think the classics are good or something like that? Right. Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I definitely, um, but, but I think that's more the, along the lines of like, I don't know if these are sort of field specific or if it's more like, could you be in the rock and roll, like on the board or whatever, the rock and roll, rock and roll hall of fame. If you did a list of your seven faves and they were mostly white men or, you know, or whatever if there was or see i think it's i think it's not even the list itself i think it's it's the the reasoning behind the list that he articulated i think he basically i mean it, this, it, this is a rare and very specific and i think very narrow case in which somebody like 
basically came out in public and said, I am not qualified to do the job that I have been given to do. Right. So, okay. So, so maybe I will, I will backtrack and say that this is like Amy Wax. It's not like academia. It's like Amy Wax. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's fair. So are we qualified to have a podcast or do you think we're not articulate enough? I don't know. Um, maybe you are and I'm not, but you're so much more articulate than me that uh, it balances out. I don't know about that, but I, I know that I'm a philosopher of rock. That's definitely, I have a degree in it. Yeah. And you are well qualified to do it. <laughs> uh, any any parting wisdom before we wrap this up? Uh, yes, that if you're going to be hooking up in a theater, make sure that you don't get any popcorn in an unusual location. Yeah, that's good advice. What about you? Any parting wisdom? Yeah, I'm just going to add that if you're going to get groped at a Broadway musical, have some class. Make sure it's Hamilton. (laughs) This has been Feminine Chaos. (laughs) It sure has. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye.